And Lord, as we're praying, we want to continue to lift up Carrie and just uh, your hand, your healing hand upon her. Also, Lord, we pray for Eden Williams. And same thing, we pray, Lord, just for a touch, healing of, on her body, Lord Jesus. And anyone else that, that might be suffering in one way or another, Lord, uh, you know, you see, we don't know every need but we do pray for these two. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Muriel. So, Book of Psalms. Turn there, Book of Psalms. We're going to ponder the Psalms. You guys know that um, the Psalms is a book of songs. And it was the Hebrew songbook or hymnal. And um, you know that if you've read the Psalms, if you've studied the Psalms, because sometimes I think people think, well, if, it's a, if it was a Hebrew hymnal, it's just a bunch of songs? Why are we studying songs? Well, if you've read the book of Psalms, if you studied the book of Psalms, you know that in the book of Psalms, it um, speaks of historical events. So it speaks of things that have already happened, and it's put into a, a song form. You know, these were composed. They were, um, you know, sometimes we're told what instrument was used as the different author was con composing the psalm or the song. So you have the historical aspect of the Psalms. Um, some of the psalms are so personal. I mean, the psalmist is just pouring out his heart. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm dealing with. And it's raw and it's honest. And so sometimes you can look at that and say, oh, I identify with what seems to be the hopelessness of the author, you know. And then we see hope. So the psalms are full of hope because many times, you know, I, I don't, think I've ever read a psalm that just kind of leaves you down in the valley. You might go in the valley with the psalmist, but then you, you always ascend to the heights with the psalmist. Uh, the book of Psalms is prophetic. So you have, we have psalms, songs uh, that were written that spoke of things before they happened. You know, an example of this, of course, a clear example is um, Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is yet to be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled during the tribulation period. Psalm 22 has been fulfilled. Psalm 22, we know it was a psalm of David, and David writes Psalm 22 as if he himself was being crucified, and yet historically we know that the Romans weren't around and nobody was being crucified in the way the Romans crucified people. So it was prophetic, and yet it's so graphic, it's so detailed, they have pierced my hands and my feet, and it just fits, you know, with what we see in the gospel concerning the crucifixion of Christ. So there's so much, of course, that we could glean from the book of Psalms. Now, Nate and I are approaching the book of Psalms the way we approach uh, all of these Wednesday night studies. We don't... Uh, 
usually we'll say, you do this chapter, I'll do that chapter. But that's about as far as we go. We don't strategize. We don't say, okay, you cover this. You'll, okay. and, and on this particular teaching, we haven't discussed anything. So we have this book of Psalms. Where should we start in the book of Psalms, do you think? Where would be a good starting point? Psalm 1, okay, Psalm 1. Let's start there. Now, that doesn't mean that next week Nate will necessarily be in Psalm 2. Maybe he will, but you don't know. <laughs> Let's read Psalm 1. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So six verses in this psalm, of course, there were no verses necessarily when the psalm was written. Do you know that I was kind of surprised, you know, I've taught through the book of Psalms a number of times, and as I was preparing for Psalm 1, I was surprised in my reading, because I just didn't remember, that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are considered orphan psalms, meaning in the Old Testament, they didn't know who wrote the psalm. Not sure who wrote Psalm 1, not sure who wrote Psalm 2. Now, I, I say in the Old Testament. I mean, surely there would have been, you know, people at that time that would have said, oh, you know, the psalmist comes out and says, hey, I've got a, <laughs> I got a new song here. And, uh, you know, and they, oh, what the, so-and-so wrote this psalm. I, 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 always, I always say, um, as David wrote in Psalm 1, but we have, we have no proof that David wrote Psalm 1. But you know what we do have? Since we have the New Testament, we have proof that David wrote Psalm 2. In Acts chapter 4, verse 25, we're told that, that David wrote Psalm uh, 2. And, and of course, we don't have time to look at that. We're not going to look at that right now. But I think it's interesting, you know, further information, revelation, um, insight, you know, as, as the apostles were, were speaking to the multitude in the book of Acts, they pointed out the fact that David wrote these things and that he wrote these things prophetically concerning, you know, the judgment that's coming, Psalm 2. So all that to say that perhaps David wrote Psalm 1 as well. Do you know why Psalm 1 is a good place to start? Because most of you in this room, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, probably know Psalm 1 better than any of the other psalms. Do you know why? Probably because it goes something like this. You feel like, I'm going to read through the book of Psalms. Yeah. So you start reading. You read Psalm 1. Oh, that was good. Oh, that was rich. Psalm 2. And you begin to get tired. 
and say, oh, I'll come back to that. And then a month later, you say, I think I'm going to really read through the book of Psalms. And you read Psalm 1. Do you see what I'm saying? Because it's the first psalm, and it's a short psalm, we read it so often, and we know it. And most of us, maybe we wouldn't be able to quote it verbatim, but we would be able to quote the gist of, of, of Psalm 1. Psalm 1, it's clearly broken up into two sections. In our English Bibles, there's six verses, and it's broken up. First three verses deal with the righteous. The last three verses deal with the unrighteous or the ungodly. And so obviously, in this psalm, the psalmist, whoever he might have been, um, he gives really two ways to go. There's two options for humanity. There's the, the way of righteousness. There's the way of unrighteousness. There's a way that the godly person will seek to go, and there's a way that the ungodly person will just naturally go. It begins with the word blessed, and you guys know what the word blessed means. By the way, before I even start, we read through Psalm 1. You're familiar with Psalm 1. What are some words, just looking at Psalm 1, just look at it, look at it. What are some words that just jump out at you? Just give me one word. You don't have to show off and give me all of the ones you know. What is it? Delight. Delight, okay. What else? Planted. Planted, okay. Meditates. Planted. Planted, yep. Withered. Withered, yeah. Yeah. Blessed. Blessed. Fruit. Fruit, yeah. So you guys are picking all the ones that I picked because they you know they're they're they kind of stand out, don't they? Fruit stands out, planted stands out. Um uh, you know, I, I added to that list, just looking at Psalm 1, uh, driven away, or drive away. Um, you know, I thought that, that really kind of stood out to me. So there's different words that kind of jump out off the page for us. But the word blessed, the word blessed is the Hebrew word asher. Does asher remind you of anything? Tell me. someone, anyone? Asher, he was the son of somebody. Do you remember who? Israel, Jacob. So he's one of the tribes, the tribe of Asher. And so that's what the word blessed, this Hebrew word that's used here, it is, it is the word Asher, and it means to be straight or right. To be straight or right, Asher. The blessed person is the person who seeks who's seeking to be right with God. It's interesting because in the Hebrew, we don't see it in the English, but in the Hebrew, the word blessed is in the plural. So it's, it's um, blessednesses. Or what's another word that we know is kind of the equivalent to this word blessed? What, happy, right, happy. So happy... I can't even say it. Too many S's there. Happinesses. And, and so it says, blessed is the man. And you'll note in the very first verse, we have a not and two nors. So it's put into the negative. Uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Um, I, 
Now think of that. What would that look like? Because again, guys, this was a song that was written a long time ago. Um, you know, from the Old Testament perspective, we could say, well, surely the Hebrew people would have understood. Psalm 1, in the law, God says he will bless the obedient and he will judge disobedience. So you look at Psalm 1, you can say, well, that, that must be what it's dealing with. Blessing on the obedient, judgment on the disobedient. And I think that that's clear in the text. But we're Christians, we're living now uh, not under the law, but under grace. Not that we throw the law away, the, the law is still, you know, standing. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. But from a Christian perspective, we look at this, and, and of course, we always want to draw application, right? Because we don't want to just read something to read it. It's not just the discipline of, of reading, but it's like, Lord, please speak to me. So we might ask, as we're pondering Psalm 1, we might ask, Lord, what, what does this look like? Does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. What would that look like today? This person is blessed because they're not influenced by ungodly counsel. They're not influenced by ungodly people. They're blessed. They're not listening to, maybe we might say, listening to the advice or counsel of the world. Guys, we, I don't know, you know, I've only been alive for so long, but you know, you look at human history, you know, from a biblical standpoint, and we know that things were really bad before the flood. And you know, whatever came into the heart of men, they did it. Men was they were evil continually, you know. They were inventors of evil. But I think that we're living in a day like that. I mean, you know, you don't have to be very old to recognize that things have changed in your lifetime since you've been alive. Things have radically changed. And things that once were considered evil, not just by believers, but just by the general public, are no longer considered evil. And so we're, we're truly, surely living in a time where, where the things that are good are, are, are seen as something evil and the things that are evil are seen as something good. And it's, it's kind of this upside down world. But this, this fellow or this person is not just a man. It says man, but of course it applies to anyone who seeks to be godly, to follow the Lord, seeking the Lord. This person does not walk. We know that walk, it speaks of what? Action. What? Action. Action, yeah, our manner of life. So when you say, um, you know, when we see that walk in Old Testament or New Testament, it just speaks of the, our manner of life, how we're living our life, how we're conducting ourselves. So this person is blessed because they're not, they're not walking, they're not listening to the counsel, to the advice of the unbeliever or the ungodly. And there's a lot of counsel coming from the ungodly today. Now, guys, I'm going to read you part of a verse. You're going to all recognize it because it's one of those verses that everyone recognizes. And it's, um, it's this. Evil company corrupts good what? Morals, yeah. Evil company corrupts good morals. Do you guys remember the context of that verse? Do you remember where we find that verse? 
We remember the verse, but we don't necessarily remember the context. The context is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The topic of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is resurrection. The certainty of the resurrection. You say, well, what is that verse doing in there? Because there were some who were listening to the counsel of the ungodly and they were doubting the existence, the reality of the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul, that's when Paul wrote these words to the Corinthians. Evil company corrupts good morals. It's going to affect you. You listen to the counsel of the ungodly and you're going to change your mind about things that you shouldn't change your mind about. And, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, of course, it would have been, you shouldn't change your mind on the resurrection because there will be a resurrection of the living, or, or of the dead, you know. Uh, here, here's another scripture. Um, Proverbs 13, verse 20, you don't have to turn there, uh, but it says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Now, these are verses, these two verses, if you have children, you've used these verses on your kids. You've, you've shared these with your kids because you know. I remember as a young teenager, um, you know, growing up, when I was growing up and, and just wanting to kind of, you know, fit in with my culture. And when I was a young teenager, um, long hair for guys was a thing. I guess it still is. I'm joking. Oh, I was cracking up last night at our at our um, our talent uh, night. It was so much fun. Oh man, it was so much fun. And I noticed all of our guys have long hair. It was wonderful. It's kind of physical. but anyway. Um, but I remember saying to my mom. I had a circus magazine, not, not circus like a, you know, circus clowns and everything. Circus magazine was a rock and roll magazine. And on the cover was Credence Clearwater Revival. And I said, Mom, can I grow my hair out? She goes, I, I don't know, Danny. You're going to have to talk to your dad, you know. And I said, not too long, because I had friends that had long, real long hair, you know. And I said, can I grow it out just this long? And I pointed to one of the guys in Credence, you know. And she said, well, I think you could probably do that, you know. But I remember sitting down with my dad, and my dad said, you know, Danny, I'm afraid that if you grow your hair long, you will kind of become like the culture of, you know. And, and this was kind of the fear of, you know, parents at that time, you know. Um, good, you know, bad company corrupts good morals, and and people are going to harass you, and and we did get harassed, you know. I mean, we, we would <laughs> we lived in a little town, and when we would walk down the street, we were pulled over by the police all the time. Now we weren't driving; we were walking, pulled over, up against the wall, you know. We'd be up there, we'd be getting frizzy, you know, getting the pat down, you know. They'd be calling us names and everything because we had long hair. But, but I remember that, that mindset, and I remember saying to my parents, there's a reason why I'm telling this silly story illustration, is that I assured them, if I look like them, I'm not going to act like them. The fact of the matter is, once I look like them, I wanted to be just like them in all ways, you know. Um, there is this influence, there is this counsel that's coming at us all the time. 
And if we don't know the word of God and what we believe and why we believe it and we're standing firm upon it, we will begin to move. We will begin to change our opinion, change our mind on different things that we should not change our mind. You say, oh, Dan, that's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. Look at the church today. There, you know, guys, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for 45 years, and uh, some have been walking with the Lord much longer than that. But um, I've seen a radical, radical change in the way people view doctrine, so the teachings of the scripture and practices within the church. And, and I, I've just seen there's been this real push to kind of this feeling type of thing. So, so I, I don't really care what the word of God says, so I, I'm not really concerned about that. So I'm not concerned with the counsel of God, but more of what I feel. Or, or you know, I, I know these people, they're great people, I love these people. And this is, these are the views that they hold to. And so why am I be, being so dogmatic in my views? And this is why we need to be people who know the word of God, who desire to know the word of God. We're not going to compromise. We're not, we're not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, nor are we standing in the path of sinners. Now, as Christians, you know, when you first come to faith in Christ, you have a field white for harvest. What am I talking about? All of your non-believing friends. Because, you know, if, if you're a non-believer, all of your friends most likely are non-believers. And so now you have this, you know, captive audience. And, and hopefully you seized upon that. I know that I seized upon that. When I became a Christian, I contacted every one of my friends that I could contact. And we're living in Northern California, and I wrote letters to San Diego, and when we would go down to visit, I'd go knocking at their door, and I'd tell them about Jesus, and because I thought, man, I found the answer. I found what, what I really was looking for without knowing it, and I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share this good news with you. And, but after a time, you know, you, you realize you know, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you have to think really long and hard, how many non-believing friends do I have? Do I really have many? You know, and if you're someone like me, a pastor, I mean, you just, you know, what's the first thing that most people ask, you know? So what do you do for a living? Well, you get, well, I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they don't want to talk to you anymore because they just assume, you know, you're going to be this way or that way or, or whatever. But there's the influence with the sinner. We were, we were sinners. We are sinners saved by grace. But we, we should be the ones having a positive influence upon the sinners. If we're, if we're standing in the path, I believe this speaks of, I believe it's a picture of fellowship. We're just kind of hanging, you know, hanging with the guys, and we're just kind of doing this thing. I remember back in um, the 80s, um, a Christian singer that I used to enjoy listening to, um, oh gosh, I just, I hate the fact that my memory, and I just had his name, Black, uh, 
Christian singer, beautiful, beautiful voice. Um, his father pastored a little dinky church somewhere in California. He stuttered so bad he could not speak. He could not get, and, and his father one time um, at this little church that his father was pastoring, uh, he came up and he called his son up and he just kind of laid his hands on his son and he prayed for him. And, his, you know, and the fellow had been playing guitar, uh, piano, the little little boy, you know. Um, Trace, Trace, do you remember? Um, Is it Andre Crouch? Andre Crouch, yes, thank you. Andre Crouch, yes. Andre Crouch. If, if you got to listen to Andre Crouch. Phenomenal, beautiful, beautiful voice, you know. And... and um, Anyway, he sat at that piano and he started singing and he wasn't stuttering anymore. It's beautiful. The Lord used that man in so many people's lives. But in the 80s, he got arrested for cocaine. He went back to the old neighborhood. He was hanging out with, you know, the sinners. And apparently, you know, he wasn't having a good influence upon them. They were having a negative influence on him. Now, the way it went down is that they did not find anything on him personally, but it was wrong place, wrong time, wrong people. And so you kind of get this picture. You know, the person who's seeking the Lord has wisdom, and you realize this is not a good situation. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to get out of this situation. I'm, I'm not going to stand in the, in the, in the path of sinners, because eventually <laughs> I will end up sitting in the seat of the scornful. You know, guys, um, <coughs> scornful, what's another word for that? Mockers, Mockers that's right. Um, so, you know what I think of when I think, I think of, I think of the fact that we are living in a time we are living closest to the second coming of the Lord in human history. Now, that goes without saying because, of course, where we live in time. But, but you just look at the signs around us. You look at what's taking place. Uh, Nate was just talking to me right before Bible study about the who, uh, not, not, the, not the band, but the, the, uh, you know, the world, you know, uh, what, what's the... Uh, yes, yeah, okay. So anyway, um, you know, this is a... You know, guys... Do your homework. What happened at 9-11 and your rights were taken away, unbeknownst to you, because we were all saying, whatever, to keep from something like this ever happening again, do it, government. Here, you could have authority. You could listen to our phone calls. You could do whatever. They're doing it with COVID. And now the sovereignty of our own nation has been given to an outside source, and they're going to control they're going to be the ones dictating when we shut down and when we do this and when we do that. This is bad news, bad news. But it falls in line with what we see uh, the, circum or the conditions during the tribulation, uh, Revelation chapter 13, when Antichrist comes upon the scene. One world re religion, one world government, one world currency, no one will be able to buy or sell. You know, you look at those things, you say, how is that possible? Are you still asking that question? I hope you're not asking that question because everything is changing. Everything is changing. Your banking is changing. Everything is changing. And you're going to see if we're st still around to see it. I hope we're not. I hope that the Lord comes. 
We're going to see that our freedoms are taken away. But I think of how we're living in the last days, and you would think that, that Christians would be saying, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, let's get busy, let's get out, let's share the gospel. But sadly, many, many Christians, churches in our little community, many, you know Christians, that when you, when you talk about the imminent return of Christ, they just go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to go there. That's conspiracy. It's like, what are you talking about? And I'll tell you, if you have friends like that, you need to take them, you need to take them to 2 Peter, and you need to say, brother, sister, do you know that there's a verse that speaks to you directly? Let me read it to you. Knowing this first, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? They become scoffers. There's a lot of Christians that are sitting in the seat of the scoffer, the mocker, the scornful. Now, guys, as, as you look at the psalm, in verse 1, the blessed person is a person who does not do the things mentioned, verse 1. In verse 2, the blessed person is the person who delights in the things mentioned in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So you see the contrast. You know, there are those, they're, they're, they're hanging with the wrong people. They're listening to the wrong counsel. Um, I, I, I had made reference to the changes that have taken place in the church. And I, I was thinking about how, um, you know, there was a time, even in my lifetime, walking with Jesus, when people would take seriously what the Bible says about marriage. We're not to be unequally yoked. But that doesn't seem to be an issue any longer. Now it just seems to be uh, even the whole issue of marriage. By the way, do you know that Paul, and, and I think most of us did not realize that what he was saying was prophetic at the time, but it is prophetic, that they are going to, they're going to keep people from marrying and giving them marriage. Watch, it's coming. It is coming. Um, but, but now, you know, we have folks even within the church and this kind of concept of marriage, you hear statements like, well, you know, if people are committed to one another, that's all that really matters. And you got to wonder, well, how committed are you? I mean, if you can't even get married, if you can't even take that step and get married, why don't you want to get married? Well, it might not work out. Well, that goes to show you how committed you really are to each other, you know. But you just see how that's changed. I was thinking of um, the issue, you know, the, the Bible speaks specifically about a brother or sister in Christ suing a brother or sister in Christ. Did you know that? Again, in Corinthians, Paul rebuked uh, the believers in Corinth because they were suing one another. And, and he said, you know what? You should be willing to be wronged, to be cheated. 
than to take each other into a civil court and to shame the, the name of Christ because Christians can't even get along or can't even you know, mediate and, and work these things out. You're suing one another. Well, boy, you, I hear about Christians suing each other all the time. Here's, a, here's one. How about sexuality? Sexuality. I'm telling you, guys, when I first became a Christian, I mean, there was, I, I did not know anybody. I'm not saying that there weren't people out there, Christian people, professing Christians, but I did not know one that was toying with the idea that, you know, maybe it's okay, um, you know, kind of what we hear today, love is love. It doesn't matter who you're with as long as you love each other. And, and you could just, you, you listen to the rhetoric and there are many Christians because they're not grounded in the word of God and they don't want to, because see, here's the thing with most people, and it's a sad thing, and all of us deal with this, is that we're more concerned with <laughs> how people view us than what the word of God says. And, and one of the last things a Christian or a professing Christian wants to be seen as is someone who's unloving. And so this whole thing of sexuality, do you know the percentage of people who, you know, fall under the category of the multicolored flag is so small? But you wouldn't think that. In fact, we're being brainwashed every single day that the numbers are so much larger. I mean, you would start to think probably half the population, maybe even more than half the population fall under to the, in this category, you know, and we just need to, we need to adapt. And you watch and you see churches that are adapting. There's one right up the street here. And there's others, you know. Just got to love people. And see, in the reasoning, people say things like this. Well, I've got an uncle, I've got a sister, I've got a brother, my father, my mother. They came out, you know, I love them. Uh, they're homosexual, lesbian, whatever, you know, whatever the, uh, the title might be. And you know, that's a f the most foolish, immature. It's, it's almost embarrassing to hear that kind of reasoning because here's the thing. Just about every family has someone in the family that fits in the, in the you know, the multicolored flag category, and we love them. But, but here's the thing. We, you know, I, I said sarcastically on Monday night, I said, we have the flag everywhere. We see the colors everywhere. In our little community, this is a conservative, this is not Langley. This is not. This is not even. This is not even Kufil. This is Oak Harbor. This is the red, white, and the blue. The Navy. The sound of freedom is flying over us every day. You know, this is conservative, Oak Harbor. And yet, every organization that deals with children in our community tell us exactly where they're coming from. Here's our colors. We're coming after your children. We told you we were coming after your children. But here's the thing, and I'm not speaking to you people. I'm saying this sarcastically. And here's the thing. We don't have to come for them. You guys are so stupid, you're bringing them to our doors. You're paying us to watch your children. It's absurd. And some of you even, some of you even in this room, have begun to lean. 
See, because you don't know what the word of God says. Oh, it's just unloving. It's hateful. Uh, you know, that's just, uh, you know. And I, I said sarcastically on Monday night, I want to know where the flag is for the wife beater. Where is the flag for the wife beater? Maybe it'd be kind of a black and blue color, you know, for the wife beater. Or the adulterer. Where's the flag for the adulterer? There should be a flag for adulterers. There's a lot of adulterers out there. In fact, I would venture to say that there are more adulterers than there, than there are those who fall under the colored flag category. How about this one? There's got to be a flag for those who are addicted to pornography. Where is it? When do they get their month of pride to march down the street and to say, I'm proud of my sin. It's pornography. You say, oh, Dan, that's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It's precisely what's happening. It's sin. And the worst thing that a Christian could do, and I'm, don't get me wrong, you know, we, we have, we've had uh, people in our family, some, the, some of them have died off, a lot of them have died off, but we love them. We don't treat them. We don't say, I'm not going to sit at the table with you. You know, I've told you this story. When I went to my mother and father's 50th uh, wedding anniversary, um, I went into a room. It was at a, the pool country club thing where my parents lived. And uh, glass walls, you know, another little conference room. And I was in that conference room for about an hour talking with my cousin, second cousin, Jerry, who, who, um, or Kenny, excuse me, who Tracy and I, when we were dating, we used to take him everywhere we'd go. He's just a little baby. Except now Jerry thinks he's Geraldine or something. And I'm talking to him. What do you think we were talking about? Well, I sat him down and I said, you know what, you're a freak. And that, that, no. He said, you know, Danny, I'm surprised that you, out of, out of everyone here, that you would be in here talking with me. I said, why? And he said, none of my relatives talk to me anymore. They act like I don't even exist. And I talked to him about Jesus. What a privilege. See, don't say you love people. Don't say it, because you're a liar. I love you, but I'm not going to tell you that you're in sin. None of us, if your father was cheating on your mother, you would confront your father. You would say, Dad, this is wrong what you're doing. You shouldn't treat mom this way. I did that to my own father. We confront. You need to repent. You need to stop. You have a, a loved one who's addicted to drugs or alcohol. You don't celebrate that. You don't say, here, listen, this is the stupidity of the world today. Get off of the hard stuff. Just smoke pot because, you know what, that's going to keep you calm. And you know what's happening as people are smoking pot? There's this uptick of schizophrenia. You say, oh, that's ridiculous. Read it. 
Don't listen to anything. Read it. Do your own research. There's a there's a, the research that's come out of Canada, and they were talking about how marijuana was having such a horrible effect mentally on people. And what are we doing in all over the world? <laughs> we're legalizing it. And we happen to live in the Northwest, where cities like Seattle and Portland, there is no drug that's illegal any longer. We are, we are living in Amsterdam. And it's imploding. And as Christians, we need to be people that we're not compromising, we're not giving in, we're not saying, well, because I love them. If you love somebody, if you love somebody, you know, um, years ago, I was, I was in Maine, and uh, some friends of ours that we knew from Grass Valley, uh, I was going to sp spend the night with them. And they were actually in Grass Valley. So I'm in Maine waiting for them to get home. They were in Grass Valley. Um, they got home in, in Maine. We sat down. I said, well, what were you guys doing in Grass Valley? And Brian said, oh, my brother. And he mentioned his name. And I, I had met his brother before. He said, we're at his uh, memorial service. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, when did your brother die? And he said, well, he committed suicide. I said, oh, that's so horrible. <coughs> he said, you know, my brother um, struggled with homosexuality. And then he broke free of it. And for a period of time, he was walking with the Lord. And he really had victory in his life. And, um, and he just was messing up, slipping up. And he left a suicide. He sat on a train track. What a way to go. He sat down. He, he bought a six-pack of beer, drank the beer, sat on a train track, and waited for that train to come. And he left a, a suicide letter. And he said, I would rather be dead than go back to a life that I had lived. You say, oh, how tragic, how, how horrible. See, the world would say, that's the problem, you see. We have to accept this. We have to encourage them so that we can stop this type of behavior. There's a lot of people that fall into this category. I don't doubt that there are people that are despairing of life because of sin. Not just that sin. I think there's a lot of sin. The people despair of life. They just feel like, I would rather die than live like this any longer. It's sad. But I'll tell you, the church condoning sin is not helping the sinner who could be set free by Jesus. I mean, <laughs> you know, we have the remedy. And we're handing out joints or a pat on the back or it's okay, or our little slogans, love is love, you know, it doesn't matter who you love. Do you see what I'm saying, guys? So you look at Psalm 1, and you say, oh, Dan, this is so heavy. Dan, you could make even a nice psalm like Psalm 1 heavy, you know. But, but here's the reality, guys, is that people are perishing all around us. I've said it many, many times. I am so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful that I lived, uh, that I grew up when I grew up. I'm so thankful that I think there was, there was a lot of sin. There's always been sin in the world. But I think there was much more honesty than there is today. 
And I'm so thankful that, that whenever I would hitchhike and a you know, Jesus person would pick me up and share the gospel with me, they would always mention hell. When's the last time you mentioned hell to somebody when you were talking to them that wasn't a believer? See, we've kind of eliminated that. Do you know why? Because it just, oh, it's just so, oh, it's ugly. It's just so, I don't want to talk about hell. And see, you don't realize what's happening. You push it out, push it out, push it out, push it out, push it out. And you begin to compromise your own beliefs on what the Bible says about hell. And eventually you say, oh, so-and-so died, you know, were they a believer? Oh, I, I, I believe that they're in heaven. Why? Did they, did they place faith in Christ? No, 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 I, I just believe it. I just believe they were a good person and they were sincere. And you lie to yourself. And that's when you need to just, shh, don't talk about Jesus any longer because you're not rightly representing him. Because you know that Jesus... Do you know how little we know about heaven? Because Jesus didn't say much about heaven. And we can't wait to get to heaven because it's, we know it's going to blow our minds. But do you know how much we know about hell? Well, it's a place, a place where the flame is never extinguished, where the worm never dies, where there's the gnawing and gnashing of teeth, where people are cast into outer darkness where they are eternally separated from God. You say, can you think of anybody? I mean, honestly, can you think of anyone that you say, yeah, th th that would deserve them, right? No. The worst of people, you say, oh, gosh, if only they would repent, if only they would turn to the Lord, if only they would believe in him, they would be forgiven of their sins, you see. So, guys, when you look at this, this downward movement, you know, the, uh, the walking and the standing and the sitting, but the contrast to that is the person who's delighting in the law. What's the law? The, the word, but, but, but for them, when they, read the, when they read this, they were thinking specifically of, of something. They were thinking of the Torah. They were thinking of the law, the five books of the Bible. You know what most modern-day Christians think of? The Ten Commandments. Because that's just how we're, because so many of us were biblically illiterate. Now, the Ten Commandments are included in the law, but it's not the whole of the law. The whole of the law, the Torah. The writer says, he meditates day and night. In other words, all the time. And I don't think that he never thought about anything else but the Word or the Torah. But the point is, is that this is on his mind. This is the godly person they're thinking about. Do you find yourself, I don't think about the Bible all the time. But I'll tell you, there's not a day that goes by that there's not a day that goes by that I'm not thinking of the Lord. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not speaking these, these you know, prayers out where I'm not thinking of a biblical principle where, where, there's, where it's just void of that. Because, you know, once you've, you're training yourself to these, we're not perfect, we've got a long ways to go. But see, we, we catch ourselves. I love music. I say it quite often. I love music. When I became a Christian, I, I got rid of all my albums. 
uh, I remember we lived in an apartment complex and I took these boxes of albums and I just um, threw them out in the dumpster. And, um, and then once I walked with the Lord for a while, I started buying some of those albums back. Because, you know, as a young Christian, I was, I think, very legalistic and felt like, you know, anything, anything secular, you know, is just, you know, of the devil and everything. But I like music. But I'll tell you, as I'm listening to music, there are times when maybe a, a song will, will come on and it will remind me of something of my past. And I just click that thing. I just, because, see, I don't want to, it's a decision. It's a way, isn't it? I could go that way and I could say, oh, I remember back when I was and this was happening and this is who and that. Or I could say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to revisit that in my mind. I'm going to click it. I'm going to go over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about something else. I, I cannot believe that in the time that I've had, I have not been able to finish this song. <laughs> I, I thought, I'm going to finish early. And the people are going to lift me up and they're going to... <laughs> but real quick, in the law he meditates. You know that word meditates. What does it mean? To ponder, but it means something else. To the cud, but what else? What else? Yeah, it means to, but it also means, not just mumble, because I think it's like blah, 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 blah. It means to murmur. A murmur would be a, it means to talk to yourself, to talk to yourself. So you're talking to yourself about the word of God, the, the law. Guys, it's not just Torah for us. It's not just five books of the Bible. It's 66 inspired, Holy Spirit inspired books that we get to meditate upon. How much more blessed are we? So, let me read this Tozer quote. I love Tozer. I haven't read Tozer for a while, but I love this quote. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring us to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that we may enter into him, that we may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of our hearts. A.W. Tozer. In verse 1, the blessed person is a person who does not do the things mentioned in verse 1. In verse 2, the blessed person is a person who delights in the things mentioned in verse 2. In verse 3, the blessed person is the person who sees and experiences the fruit of delighting in the law of the Lord. Look at verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted. That word planted literally means transplanted. I like that. We are a transplant of God. God takes us from what we once were. He transplants us. Where? Well, by the rivers or channels or canals of water. What does that mean if, if you're a tree and you're planted by the waters? You know, uh, growing up in Poway, um, you know, the terrain there was so different than up here. That's why I'm always just going gaga over the Northwest. We've been here longer than anywhere I've ever lived in my life. But, you know, San Diego was a great place to live. But, but uh, the terrain, you know, it was a sagebrush. And um, 
<laughs> and when things dry out, everything dries out, and everything looks the same. And um, the ground is the same color as rattlesnakes, and the same color as horny toads, and everything just kind of blends. It just is the same color, you know. And um, you, you see something move, and you know, you know, it's either something I could pick up or something I better run from, you know. Um, and we lived on the edge of town in in Poway, and it was just, you know, during the summer, it was just, you know, that that tan color. Everything is dry. Everything there's nothing green. And as you would kind of, we would hike. We would always our playground were just acres and acres and acres of these rolling hills. And you would get to the kind of the edge of uh, this land and you would see all of these green, luscious green trees. I mean, just, and, and, and you could see it from Poway Road. And so if you didn't know what was there, you'd say, well, how in the world are those trees so green? And of course, if you got out of your car, if you were walking as we would walk, you'd go down and there was Chambers Pond. And so all of these trees were surrounded by this pond. And so they were constantly, of course, drinking up the water and everything was green and lush. And I was thinking about that. That's what the man, that's what the woman of God who, who meditates upon the word of God is like. And there's fruit that brings forth its fruit. It's, it's individual, its fruit in its season whose leaves shall never, uh, uh, shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Again, oh, there's so much you could say. We looked at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when he comes. Uh, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the time of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Be in the word, be in the word, be in the word, be in the word. Why? You're like a broken record, Dan. It's because times are getting harder. And if we're not in the world, we're going to be filled with anxiety. And we're going to begin to say, where's God? Why is God allowing me to go through this? Why is there a drought? Why is there a famine? Why? Where's God? Where's God? And some are already going that direction and the remedy is the word of God so that we know the character of God and the heart of God and the plan of God so that we can be a source of hope rather than just kind of you know giving the the, the same cries you know that everyone else is crying out verse 4 it's not so with the godly or ungodly look what it says but are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Chaff, you know, it's light, it's easily blown away. I think of, uh, I don't know why, whenever I read that, I always think of Boaz, uh, not my grandson Boaz, but his, his namesake, Boaz, uh, thrushing the wheat, you know, it's harvest, and oh man, this is a time of celebration, and you take the wheat and you throw it up, and the husk just kind of blows away in the wind. That's what the ungodly are like. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And then verse 2 tells us there are two ways. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know what guys, there are, there are some places that the godly man or woman should not attempt to stand or walk or sit 
but there are also some places where the ungodly cannot stand. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Do you, do you still have family? Do you still have relatives that have not placed their faith in Jesus? Have you ever really sat down with them and, and talked with them? And I mean, do they know, you know, they might think you're a freak. They probably do. But, um, but have you really ever sat down with them and, and said, I'm, I'm concerned for you? I'm concerned for you. I remember a long, long time ago, my sister was living up in Mammoth, uh, Mammoth, California. Mammoth, a ski resort, kind of the place where a lot of people uh, in Southern California would go. It was better than Big Bear. Uh, you could ski in Big Bear, but Mammoth was the, the place. And she went up there and she worked at a ski resort until she got a job um, as a painter, uh, taping for painters and everything. And um, so Tracy and I went down and we met my parents in Mammoth. And um, Tracy and my mom went someplace, my sister, they went someplace. And my dad and I were in the hotel room and uh, the TV was on and something came on the TV and it had to do with homosexuality. And um, and my dad said something that just absolutely blew my mind. You know, now you gotta remember the time frame. This is in the 70s. Uh, this is the man who raised me. Um, again, we, we didn't, you know, speak hatefully about people, but it's something that we really just didn't even talk about. And he said something about homosexuality and how, you know, well, you know, I, I believe that people are, are born this way. And I looked at him, I said, really, Dad? I thought he was maybe joking. I thought he was maybe, you know, my dad kind of would reel me in sometimes, and I would always bite the bait, you know. And, but um, he said, yeah, I, I just think that. And again, his reasoning was he knew some men, he had worked with some guys, good guys, but that's how they were leaning, you know. And I said, but, Dad, um, so do you think that God created them? to have a same-sex you know, attraction, that God did that? Yes, I think that that's what happened. I said, Dad, wouldn't it be cruel of God to create a person that way and then to judge a person for being that way? And I was so blown away that my father had, had kind of bought in, this was early on, you know, in kind of the late, 70s, you know, but had kind of bought into this whole, um, you know, agenda and everything. And, uh, and, you know, we have to reason through these things. There are people that are born with handicaps. Could you imagine if God, I was just looking at it today in, in John, his disciples, Jesus comes, he heals a blind man. They ask the question, did he sin or did his parents sin? Why is he blind? He was born blind. That one really bothered us. See, he was born blind. He didn't become blind. He was born blind. So who sinned? It couldn't have been him because he was born blind. 
So was it his parents? Guys, you, you just think of the, the question and what it does to the character of God. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's why we need to stop as people who are followers of the Lord and say, okay, let, let's reason through this. God loves people. God created people. God created them male and female. For what purpose? That they may be fruitful and multiply. We live at a time where we are told, and, and people say it's straight-faced, and they get angry with you. We're told that men can menstruate, that men can become pregnant, that all of these silly things. I mean, honestly, it's, it's almost like people have absolutely lost their mind, but they've, and I think they have, they've been given over to a depraved mind. But, you know, we, we need to keep our heads, we need to keep cool, but we need to be able to reason with people through the word, from the Word of God. And we need to not be embarrassed about the Word of God. You know, guys, um, I, I know I'm going long, but today, as I was coming into work, there was a, a truck, and the truck had a, uh, the, a Jesus sticker, so the fish with a cross in it. I hope it's no one driving <laughs> tonight, but it, it had that. And then it had an, uh, um, a, uh, a sticker about, um, you'll have to pry my gun out of my cold, dead hands. Then there was another sticker. I mean, it was, it was like, this, you know, so it was like a billboard, all these messages. And I was just kind of looking at it, and I was thinking, he probably should stick to one theme. <laughs> because, because this is feeding into what the world is saying about us. You know, those Christians are conservative. Now, I'm not speaking, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You know, you, we have the right to bear arms, all of that. And I know a lot of people have, uh, you know, guns and things like that. So I'm not saying anything about that. But I'm just saying that when we kind of feed into the narrative, you know, we're just, you know, <laughs> I'm going out hunting. What are you hunting? I'm going to go get me some of those people that fit under that colored flag symbol. You know, and that's how they make us look like. And if we, if, we, if we show them, you're right about us because that's how we are. You know, it, it really is not the heart of Christ. Yeah. It's not the heart of Christ. And, and I just look and I think, man, number, we're living at an hour in history where Christ needs to be number one. I'm not going to fight for this. I'm not going to fight for that. I'm not going to die for this cause or die for that cause. I'll die for Christ. Some of you are getting angry with me. I can see it on your faces. But it's true. I'll die for Christ. I believe in Jesus. When push comes to shove, what do you, what, what's your issue going to be? Christ and him crucified. Lord, give me the strength If the day ever comes and I look at my persecutor in the eyes, give me the strength, give me the courage, give me the grace. To say, Father, forgive him. He knows not what he is doing. He's blind. 
Give me the strength to look at him and say, listen, there are no other causes. My cause is Christ. And my message is the gospel. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You could be forgiven of your sin. If you turn to Christ, you believe on him. You commit your life to him. You could be saved. Brittany sent the family today a short testimony from a fellow in Iran. Was it Iran or what country was it? I forget what country. Yeah, but what was it? What? I think it was Iran. Iran. And he was, you know, just a horrible person. And he had this vision of Jesus. And Jesus says, I forgive you. And he said, who are you? And he says, Jesus. And he said, I didn't know who Jesus was. I'd never heard about Jesus. And so he says, Jesus who? And he says, Jesus, the son of God. And as the man is telling his short little testimony, he's just weeping that he could be forgiven and saved by Jesus, whom he had never heard about. And yet he was a horrible, ruthless killer. And the Lord forgave him. That's the message we have, right? So share the gospel with your loved ones. Be passionate about it. Let them know that you care. Pray for them fervently. Lord, save my mom, save my dad. Don't stop until they're gone. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. I prayed for my dad for many, 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 many years, you know, decades. Every day I'd, I'd pray for my dad. I don't know if my dad repented before he died. I hope he did, but I don't know that. I mean, because there was no indication in his life at all. But, but I'll tell you, heaven will be a great surprise if, if I look over and there's Daniel Paul Renner, my dad. That will be a great joy. Never stop praying for my mom. But I have the assurance that my mom's going to be there. Because in her, you know, 80s, old woman, blind, <laughs> feisty, Mouthy surrenders to the Lord. It might not look the same way in her that it would have if she was in her 30s. But she trusted in Christ. So Lord, help us to remember these things. Help us, Lord, when we go through the Psalms or wherever we're reading to just kind of look at it a little bit deeper than just simply reading the words and to ask ourselves, oh, am I compromising, Lord? Am I thinking differently than I once did? Am I leaning? Am I beginning to lean? Because all of my Christian friends are leading that way and I, I don't want to look like the oddball. Would you help us, Father, not to care about what our fellow man thinks of us, but that we would care what you think of us. Help us to be men and women who stand upon your word. Because the day is coming when we will be marked out as haters. We will be marked out as the crazy ones. We will be marked out as the ones that aren't going with the agenda. And I pray, Father, that you would equip us and ready us for what's coming. If, if, 
if, uh, you know, if we're here <laughs> before you come to take us home and we see these things, I pray, Lord, that we would pass the test, the trial of persecution. In Jesus' name, amen.